Did you know that there is a verse in the Bible that says you should go to church? There's there's a verse, there's and you've heard it before, I would imagine. There's a verse in the Bible that says you ought to be in church. It's in Hebrews chapter 10. Look at it real quick. You got a little, you got a little handout, okay? Hebrews chapter 10, verse 25. Here's what it says. Some versions are a little different, but the version we're reading from this morning on that little handout says this, not staying away from our worship meetings as some habitually do. That means some are in the habit of not going to church. Now, I don't know about you, but I would venture to say that we don't have everybody in Callaway County this morning here at Elm Grove. There, I believe, somewhere around 37,000 people. We'd have to have more than one service in this current building, maybe more than two, to fit all of those people. There are some who are not in the habit of going to church. We've been taught, as a result of this verse, a few things. That you ought to be in church. Even if Kentucky had lost last night, you ought to be in church. I was going to wear my green regardless today, just because I love you so much. I noticed nobody's really in red this morning. Thanks a lot for that. <laughs> One Sunday, I get red last week, and that's it. <clears throat> but you know, the verse tells us that we should not forsake gathering together, as some are in the habit of doing. We've been taught as a result of this, many of us, maybe you've heard this verse before, you ought to be in church. Maybe you were raised in the home that said every time the doors are open, you ought to be there. You ought to show up. You ought to be there every single time. And there's an awful lot of ought to's when it comes to that. And so we've got folks in church this morning, right here, who are here because you ought to be here. I don't know who you are. You probably would never admit it. But maybe you're in church this morning because you ought to be here. Somebody told you once upon a time, or maybe this morning, that you ought to be there. And so here you are. We've been taught as a result of this verse that you should go to church. But why? That's my question. The older I get, I guess I get a little more cynical and I just begin to wonder, why? You tell me I should do this, why? I've been taught I should be in church, why? What's the purpose? What's the point of being involved with the church? Now some of us are asking that question this morning. Some ask that question every Sunday morning or every Saturday night as you begin to prepare yourself for what you ought to do on Sunday morning. And you're here, but you don't really know why. Some say that there is no point to church. I mean, there are many people who are not in any church this morning who look at what we're doing as something completely pointless and useless and ridiculous. There are lots of people like that. You may not know any of them, but they live. They are out there. Some would say that I don't go to church because it's irrelevant to my life. I mean, you're not talking about anything that matters to me. I mean, you know, okay, that's fine. You talk about these things from this ancient book, but what difference does that really have in my life? Some would say that. Some would say that I don't go to church because the people there, you know, it's just a place filled with people who are kind of fake. You know, I mean, they they put on these smiles and they act like they love each other, but I know them. (laughs) They're not like that. 
You know, others say, well, I don't go to church. I don't, I don't really know if I fit in. I mean, it's just not exactly my kind of place. You know, some people are involved in church, but really don't know why. They're, it's just a habit. I mean, it's just, it marks the week for you. Sunday morning, it's what I do. I go to church. For some, you're involved in church to keep God and your family off your back. <laughs> you just figure, well, if I show up enough, maybe everybody will kind of be happy with me. God will be pleased, okay? And, and you know, my wife, my husband, my, you know, my kids, you know, whomever, m- mom and dad, they'll just leave me alone. Fine, I'll just, okay, I'll do that. You know, some feel like a perfect attendance is necessary or else. Maybe you grew up like that. There are some, however, I know who are sitting here this morning who are here for all the right reasons. I mean, you're involved with the life of the church because you love Jesus and you love God's people. Those are the right reasons. What's the answer to the question of why in the world should I be involved with the church? Let me first tell you who this sermon is for. This sermon is not for people who are not here this morning. In case you didn't notice, I'm preaching to you. There's nobody here who isn't here, and there's nobody who's not here who is here. Make sense to you? I'm not preaching to anybody, but who's here? So this sermon is not for you to take and go out there to those people who ought to be in church and say, my pastor this Sunday said you ought to be in church. Now stand back while I hit you in the head with this Bible. That's not what it's about. So this is not about those people out there that you know ought to be in church and aren't. This is for us. Honestly, today, I I don't have a major purpose with the sermon other than to maybe begin the process of changing our minds about why we should be involved in the church in the first place. I hope to inspire you a little bit. I hope to challenge you. I hope that, that we see God's word and we understand the true value of it all. I'll tell you this. The sermon is not meant so that you'll now have perfect attendance, so that now you'll show up every Sunday morning, every Sunday night, every Wednesday night, and we start a Bible study on Monday and Tuesday and Thursday and Friday and sometimes Saturday morning, and you're here all the time. Not my goal. So first, the sermon is just for us. Secondly, I want to address what in the world we're really talking about in the first place. I mean, Hebrews 10.25 says, don't give up gathering together. It says, not staying away from our worship meetings. But what in the world does that really mean in the first place? Does that mean that you ought to be here every single time the doors are open no matter what? Or is there something beyond it? In order to determine why it's important to be involved with the church in the way that Hebrews 10.25 suggests that we should, meaning that we should be involved in the regular life of the church on an ongoing basis, that should be our desire as God's people, to be with God's people. In order to understand why that's important, we've got to look at what leads up to this particular statement in Hebrews 10.25. So we'll look at these other verses. We're wrapping up our series this morning. The series has been called Together. And it's all about the value and the necessity and the power of godly relationships. And, and many of those relationships are wrapped up in our church life, in our gathering together with brothers and sisters in Christ. And so I, I thought it would be appropriate to address what should be happening, what's the value, what's the point, why should I be involved in the life of the church? What's the reason? So today, I just want to give you four great reasons. I think they're great. I think they're incredibly great. Reasons to be involved with the church. First of all, number one reason is to be reminded of foundational truth. To be reminded of foundational truth. You wonder, you say, well, why in the world should I ever come to church? Or you know what? I'm in church every week. I don't see the point of it. I'm just doing it. 
Hopefully today you walk away with something to chew on a little bit. Why in the world should I be involved in the life of the church? Verse 25 says, don't stay away from the worship meetings. Be be regularly there together with other believers. Why? First of all, to be reminded of foundational truth. The kind of truth that's found in verses 19 to 21. Look, look, Look at it here. It says, therefore, brothers, since we have boldness to enter the sanctuary through the blood of Jesus, that's verse 19, by a new and living way he has opened for us through the curtain, that is his flesh, that's verse 20, verse 21, and since we have a great high priest over the house of God, he gives us some really great truth. Hold on right there. One of the things that happens when we gather with the church, when we come together, one of the reasons we're sitting here this morning is so that the truth of Scripture can be put in front of us so that we can be reminded of it. I don't know about you, but sometimes the week is hard. Sometimes, excuse me, I forget about the truth of God. Sometimes I fail to be in the Scripture as much as would be helpful for me. And so it's when the church gathers that our foundation is to be upon the truth of God's Word that comes from His revealed Scripture. Verse 25 says, keep getting together. Verses 19 to 21 give an indication of the things that that ought to be talked about, that ought to be taught when we do gather together. Verse 19 starts off with, therefore. Of course, that's a transitional statement that highlights some things that he's mentioned before. And in the first 18 verses of this particular chapter in Hebrews 10, he's talking about this sacrifice to end all other sacrifices. He's writing to Hebrew people who were accustomed to the Old Testament system of sacrifices. They would once a year send in the high priest to the Holy of Holies, it was called, in the temple. And he would make a sacrifice on behalf of all the people. He was the only person allowed to go into the presence of God. It was curtained off. And he would go in once a year to make a sacrifice to atone for and to cover the sins of the people. But the writer of Hebrews makes it very clear that what was not possible through those sacrifices was the removal from the inside out of all of the sin of the people. They were still in their hearts sinful, and so they were really only cleaned on the outside. And he makes the point that when Jesus came, he was the one sacrifice to end all others. Those other sacrifices don't need to happen anymore. Jesus doesn't need to die again. Once and for all, he took all of the punishment for all of the sins of the world. And that's the truth of verses 19 to 20. In the results here, he says, we have boldness now, verse 19, to enter the sanctuary. The sanctuary being the very presence of God. Only the priest before could enter. And he says, now we all have access. I don't know if you need reminders of that from time to time, but I know I do. One of the things that happens when we gather as the church is that we're reminded that, you know what? We don't have to be scared, terrified anymore in the presence of God. Why? Because Jesus has covered our sins and has forgiven us. We don't enter the presence of God anymore as beaten down, broken down old sinners. We enter the presence of God as those who have been redeemed and justified by faith and now stand, 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, as the very righteousness of God because Jesus traded places with us. And now we boldly, we can with confidence go before God because we don't stand on our own anymore. We stand under the blood of Jesus Christ. It says we have boldness to enter the sanctuary, the presence of God, through the blood of Jesus. Sanctuary not being this room, understand. Sanctuary being the very presence of God. We need to be reminded of those kinds of foundational truths. We're forgiven and we are welcomed into the presence of God. 
Do you realize that as a believer in Jesus Christ, God's not mad at you? He's not angry with you. He loves you. He wants you in His presence. And by the blood of Jesus, the door has been opened so that we can walk right into the presence of God. How many of us are walking around as believers in Jesus, so ashamed of ourselves, so scared of what God's going to do because of the sin I just committed, not realizing that our standing in the Lord now is not as a broken down sinner, but as a redeemed saint before God Himself because of Jesus. All the while, as we stand ashamed, as we stand cowering, God is saying, you're forgiven. You're welcome in my presence because of what my son Jesus did for you. So if you're a believer in Jesus, you don't approach God with terror anymore. Certainly respect and awe, but not terror. We approach as righteous, as people made new, forgiven, justified by faith because of the all-sufficient death of Jesus. Verse 20 says this, we enter by a new and living way. That he's opened up for us through the curtain, and he says that is his flesh. Symbolism here. The writer of Hebrews recognized there, there's rituals and stuff that people go through to try to make themselves okay with God. And he's saying, look, all that stuff is gone. Dead rituals, meaningless going through the motions. No, no, we've got a new and a living way. Jesus Christ himself. Jesus said it in John 14, 6. He said, I am the way. It's a new and living. It's somebody The point is, he says, we don't enter confidently to the presence of God, joyfully to the presence of God, because we've done all the right things, because we've got perfect attendance at church, because maybe we chipped in a little cash during the offering, because we walked an aisle, because we sang all the right songs and all the right styles. He said, that's not why we confidently approach God. We do so only because we now have a living way Jesus has opened up for us by his death. So we learn in verse 20, in verse 19, and then in verse 20, that by His blood and by His body, broken for us and poured out on the cross, now we have free access to God. That's truth we need to be reminded of. Our access to God is not limited to a Sunday morning experience. Although certainly we want to be in the presence of God as we gather together. But every day, every moment of every day of each week, you and I have access to the presence of God. You can go boldly before Him in the name of Jesus Christ. And so it's His blood, His flesh, that allow us to stand before God without fear. And then verse 21 wraps up this foundational truth that he talks about here. Since we have a great high priest over the house of God. Now some of this stuff, I'll grant you, is a little bit thick. It's, it's a little Old Testament sounding. What are, you, what are you getting at? Well, the truth is that back then they needed somebody to represent them before God. So they had a high priest that God had chosen. He's going to be my guy to come before me once a year and make a sacrifice. He's going to go through lots of rituals to make sure that he's, he's ritually clean. He, he's going to do things a certain way. He's only going to enter at a certain time. And it's only he who can come before me, God said, in my presence in the Holy of Holies. A lot of that has not changed. We still need somebody to represent us before God. We still need a priest to go on behalf of us before God. What has changed is who it is. 
It's no longer a sinful human being, but it is the sinless Son of God, Jesus Christ, who stands on our behalf before God. It is He who represents us now. And understand the incredible truth of that. You don't need me, nor can I, stand before God on your behalf. And trust me, you don't want me trying to argue your case before God. He's only going to look at me and say, oh yeah, yeah you're perfect, aren't you? What do you? What do you have to offer me? And you know the only thing that I can say in response is, a little, a little, I have no idea. I don't know what I'm trying to do on behalf of these people. God, I can't stand before you for all these people. I can't go on behalf. If you are trying to live your life, your spiritual life, vicariously through someone else but Jesus Christ, you are on your own before God. He says we have a great high priest, one that supersedes all the other priests that have ever served the Lord, Jesus Christ himself, now our representative. And so when God looks at us, he looks through the lens of Jesus Christ and sees us as righteous and forgiven by his son. And for those of us who live a discouraged life, we need to be reminded of that foundational truth. We get involved with the life of the church because we need those kinds of reminders that you're not going to get from the news. (laughs) Some of you sit around all day long on Twitter and Facebook and watching the news, and I get it. You're not going to be reminded of the great foundational truth of Scripture that will set you free from watching the news and looking on Twitter and Facebook all day. It's not going to happen, is it? You tried it. You're looking for some encouragement. And then you sit and wonder two hours later, why in the world did I just spend all that time getting myself discouraged? Foundational truth is what we get from Scripture, not from the news, not from any social club that you might be a part of, or anything or any place that this world has to offer. We get that only from the Scripture, and that ought to be one of the great reasons why we get involved in the life of the church, because I need that truth. I need to hear that. I want to hear that. Coming and listening to a sermon for some, I get it, is okay, let's get this over with. Lunch is happening in about 30 minutes. I don't want to be late because we've got to beat everybody else in town. That's why we have our service at 10 o'clock. <laughs> now listen, I know there were great spiritual reasons years ago why y'all chose 10 o'clock. And the reason is you're first in line at lunch. I know. But I really do hope, and I mean moving forward, that part of the reason why you really look forward The gathering together with the people of God is not just because you ought to be here, but because you want to be reminded of the truth of God's Word. And you need that each week. You say, well, I'm I'm drying up here. Somebody remind me of the truth. The second great reason is to be challenged towards spiritual growth. We get involved in the life of the church to be reminded of foundational truth, and secondly, to be challenged towards spiritual growth. Look at verse 22. He says, because of all that, because we have boldness, because we have a new and living way, because we have a great high priest, let us draw near, that is near to God, with a true heart in full assurance of faith. Our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed pure, washed in pure water. He says in verse 22, the beginning, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith. Because of the access that God has given us through the body and the blood of Jesus Christ, he says, we can draw near to God. I don't know if you ever felt far away from God, 
But you don't have to do anything to draw near to God. You don't have to clean up your act. You don't have to do all the right things. You don't have to stop doing this or stop doing that. All you need to do is recognize your standing in Jesus Christ and through his body and through his blood receive the forgiveness of God and draw near to God as a result of that. You can work your whole life trying to get yourself ready to be accepted by God and you will die apart from God still trying to get yourself ready because you did not receive the grace of Jesus Christ through faith. It's real simple. The author makes clear here that we get to draw close to God, but he does say, let's do that with a true heart, with a real commitment to Jesus Christ. This isn't about going through the motions, checking off the boxes, making sure I do all the right things. No, it's not about that. Not about being perfect so God will like me. It's simply about a genuine commitment to Jesus Christ. That every day I say, Lord, I'm going to love you today. Lord, live your life through me today. One of the things that happens when we gather with the church is that we're challenged toward these kinds of things. We're challenged toward spiritual growth through the teaching, through the preaching, through talking with other people, through worship, through giving, through seeing how other people live and worship. We're, we're challenged toward spiritual growth, toward what God wants to do in our lives. And so when the, the author makes the point in verse 25 to not stay away from those gatherings, but to be involved... He's implying to a large degree that you can't become the person God wants you to be apart from interaction with other believers who are also tracking the same way. He says in verse 22 also that we draw near with full assurance of faith. You know, there are some who say that that faith is just a blind leap. Do you know that the faith that the Bible talks about anchors itself not to something that's just sort of out there? but to the the real person and the real work of Jesus Christ. That's where our faith is anchored. Not in some thought or some abstract principle, but in a person. We can draw near in full assurance of faith because Jesus lived, Jesus died, and he was raised again. That's historical fact. Nobody in their right mind argues that with any kind of clarity on the other side. It is recognized as a historical fact. Jesus lived, he died, and he lived again. That's who we anchor our faith in. That's how our faith can be assured. Not because we have some sense of things. No, because we know who Jesus was, who he is, and what he did. So we draw close with a true commitment, with full assurance in the person of Jesus Christ. And he says also, being sprinkled clean, our hearts from an evil conscience and our bodies washed in pure water. That's symbolic of what happened back in the Old Testament during the sacrificial system. And now it's been made completely possible because of the blood and body of Jesus Christ. Now, I'll use one of my guys here as an example. Cameron today is in uniform. We have a game this afternoon. Cameron's going to ride with us today and so... Because of that, came in uniform. Yesterday, we played a couple of teams. We saw one team that was warming up after our game, and they looked pretty sharp in their uniforms. I want to be honest with you. They, they, were, they were orange and black and really nice looking and all that. And they were walking up, and I thought, they could be pretty good. I mean, they looked good. They, got, they were dressed the right way. They, I mean, they looked good. Then I saw them warm up. My first thought, with no disrespect to them, was they can't play. They can't throw it. They can't catch it. One kid got hit right in the head because he couldn't catch it. Oh, I felt so sorry for him, but I thought, you know what? They look good, but they can't play good. 
when he says we are our hearts are sprinkled clean and our bodies washed in pure water he's not talking about clean yourself up on the outside so you look like a ball player put on the right uniform and smile at the right times and show up to the right place at the right time so you look like a ball player so you look like a christian he's saying no 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 more do we have to worry about am i cleaned up on the outside he talks about the fact that from the inside out we've been clean on our hearts we have been sprinkled clean and symbolically then on the outside we are made clean as god begins the process of cleaning up our behavior on the outside but let me tell you this don't start by putting on the right uniform Don't start by trying to look good on the outside. Start by simply throwing yourself open to the Lord and say, Lord, you make me a ball player. Lord, you make me who I need to be. And then, then on the outside, God, you put on to me whatever you want. So our cleansing, our spiritual growth isn't something that happens from the outside in. It's when God changes our hearts and then he works on our behavior third reason to be involved with the life of the church is to be strengthened for daily living to be strengthened for daily living look at verse 23 let us hold on to the confession of our hope without wavering for he who promised is faithful the truth is for many of us our lives are anything but stable spiritually we're all over the place during the week we struggle with with discouragement we struggle with doubt. We struggle with all kinds of attacks and temptations. And, all. and so we're often wavering, blown around by whatever is happening in the world that affects us or whatever is going on. And some of us know that feeling all too well. Just blown around, wavering all over the place. We feel so weak every day, not knowing what to do, not knowing where to go or how to get there. We see what's happening in the world today and the godless nature of so many things and we, we begin to question everything about God. Is He there? Is He doing anything? Is this stuff really true? Life is hard and often we're just struggling through it. The author tells us here to hold on to what we believe, our confession of hope without wavering. How do you do that? He's leading up to where he's going to mention, don't stop getting together. And so I really believe that there's part of this when he says, hold on to this confession of hope without wavering. I think there's part of that that's connected to the fact that you can be helped in doing that by gathering regularly with other believers. There's something about it when you come together with others that are tracking the same way, that are going through many of the same things, whether you see them in Sunday school or you see them here in our worship service, or you talk with them afterward, have lunch, whatever, that there's something that helps God uses to help strengthen us when we know that someone else is there as well. To be strengthened for daily living. He says, don't... He says, hold on to the confession without wavering. How do you do that? I think part of it is we get together with other people who are not wavering. We looked a few weeks ago at the scripture that says, iron sharpens iron, and so one person, one man sharpens another. The church must be relevant, must be relevant to daily life. If not, why in the world are we meeting? If we don't help one another be strengthened for what we literally are going through on a regular basis, then our meetings honestly are pointless. They have no point to life. They have no purpose. They have no relevance. 
Because if they're not relevant to our lives, and we've lost the focus on this incredible book God gave us that is relevant to every facet, every aspect of life. We gather to be strengthened for daily living. And then fourth, we gather to know that, you know what, we're not alone. One of the, one of the great things about being involved in the life of the church is what verse 24 says. Let us be concerned about one another in order to promote love and good works. And then verse 25 says this way, encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Some of you remember the the sitcom Cheers. Some of you have watched that in binge fashion on Netflix. Some remember when it came out. Now the premise was essentially this. There's a bar that everybody likes to go to and the theme song was perfect. Sometimes you want to go where everybody knows your name. And they're always glad you came. And you walk in and here's Norm. Hey, and everybody goes crazy. You know what's interesting about that? Is I really believe that there's some aspect of the church... It ought to be just like that. You know, the truth is that sometimes you just want to go where everybody knows your name, where they might even know some stuff about you, and they love you anyway. Know what I mean? I mean, they know you, they grew up with you, and they still love you, somehow. And you know them, and, and you know, you could tell some stories on them, but you love them anyway. And there's something powerful about when we gather as a church. Let us be concerned about one another in order to promote love and good works. Encouraging one another. And all the more, he says, as you see the day drawing near. What day is that? The day of the return of Christ. All the more as we see the evil in the world. All the more as we experience trouble. Let's get together, let's encourage one another so that we know maybe, just maybe, it helps us get through the day knowing we're not alone. I'll be honest with you. One of the reasons that I really look forward to Sunday morning has nothing to do with the fact that I get to stand up and talk to you for 30 or 40 minutes. But I spend a lot of my week alone. Alone. By myself. You realize I'm the only full-time employee of the church. <laughs> I'm here by myself. Sitting over there in my office. My, my wife now is teaching. My kids are going to school every day. We homeschooled them before just for a point of reference. And so I am by myself all the time. And that's not fun. I am awful to be around. Terrible. I'm no good by myself. I like being around other people who are trying their best to say, Lord, you live your life through me. I look forward to Sunday morning, honestly, to know I'm not alone. Not alone on this spiritual journey. I don't know how many of you spend your week, maybe around lots of people, but you're alone. There's something powerful when we come together to encourage one another to be reminded, you know what? You're not alone. What's the author really saying in verse 25? When he says, don't don't stop gathering together. Don't, Don't stop attending the worship meetings. Don't stop being a part of the life of the church. I really don't think he's telling us, you better have perfect attendance or else. 
You better show up. Anytime that church decides to do something, you better be there. I don't really think that's what he's saying. I don't think the author envisioned that we would have something going on Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, Monday night, Tuesday night, Thursday night, Friday night, Saturday morning. I really don't envision that's what he thought. So I don't think this is about being legalistic. I don't think this is about you ought to anymore. I think he's really just giving us a great hint here that your involvement with the church is invaluable to your life. It's invaluable. It's not because you ought to. It's because we desperately need to. It's not because I ought to. It's because I want to. No longer is it, well, I guess I better show up. Everybody's going to wonder where I am. They're going to get on my case again. No. You know, I will see people. I saw somebody not long ago who... Who they've attended here sporadically over the last several months. and I saw them recently, and the first words were, we'll be back. I'm just walking up to you, say hello, we'll be back. I'm like, Wait, what? you know, I'm not trying to scare you. You know, and I said, look, I get it, I understand, I got kids too, I know how it goes, they get sick and what, I get it. I really hope and I pray that we will be and we'll become the kind of church it isn't about, why weren't you there last Sunday? Where you been? That folks will genuinely want to be involved in the fellowship of this church because they'll be reminded of foundational truth. Because they'll be challenged towards spiritual growth. Because they'll be strengthened. And because they'll know they're not alone. I'll tell you this. My goal for you leaving this, this sermon is twofold. I hope that that you've understood the foundational truth that we've talked about. I hope you hear the story of Jesus Christ, that He died for sinners who are in desperate need of salvation. And if you find yourself this morning never having received the grace of God through faith in Jesus, I hope you hear the message this morning, it's available. That you would cry out to God, Lord, save me, I believe. But I also hope that for those of us who are going to be back in church next week, I hope that if you're attending church next week, you will have chewed on this all week long. Lord, why in the world am I going? And that your idea, your mindset will be changed. And now it's not an ought to, but it's a boy, I get to. I'm so looking forward to being with the people of God. They're not perfect. I'm not perfect. But I can't wait to get together with them again because of all these great reasons. I hope you see the truth. And when he says, don't give up gathering together, it's not or else, or because you ought to. But it's because of all these great reasons that, quite honestly, you're not going to get anywhere else. So my prayer is that you and I will gather together again soon. Not out of obligation, but out of love for our Lord and love for one another. And I wonder what God can do through that kind of church. I wonder what he can do. I'm not sure we've ever seen it. Glimpses, maybe. But what if that was our mentality? You need the body of Christ, the church of God, more than you realize. I hope you'll change your mind about it. And I hope next week, if you show up for Easter Sunday, wherever it is you go, that you'll go because of the great reasons to be involved in the life of the church, not because it's Easter Sunday. I hope you will. Let's pray together. This 
morning. There may be something that God has put specifically on your heart that He's talked to you about as you've heard this sermon, as you've looked at the Scripture. Maybe it's time for you to give your life to Jesus Christ and you recognize that this morning and you say, Lord, I've never done that. God, I stand apart from you. God, I stand here as a sinner, not as redeemed saint. And Lord Jesus, I recognize your death, your resurrection to provide forgiveness and freedom for me. And and Lord, I believe you are the Son of God. Save me. I pray that if you've never done that, that this morning you'd not wait till tomorrow. God does not promise us tomorrow that this morning you'd do it. Maybe God has spoken something else to you about the church, about your involvement. And maybe He wants to set you free to truly enjoy being with the people of God. Listen to the Holy Spirit this morning. Respond to Him accordingly. God, we thank You for the chance to be here. In these closing moments as we sing about what You've done, Remind us, Lord, of your truth. Set us free. Help us, Lord, not to to be a part of the life of the church because we ought to, but simply because we love you and we love your people. Change us, Lord, from the inside out. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.